So I'm really grateful that you are receiving this book of Philippians um, because, as I said last year, we went through this and I didn't remember it. But I know that this year I will not forget it. This book speaks to so many issues that we are dealing with today. And it's important for us to not just understand the historical context, as important as that is, but to also look at it in the context of the church today. So my first question is, who are you? How many of you are citizens of the United States? Any citizens of Mexico? We have, uh, on occasion, a couple of citizens from the UK who join us in worship. How do you identify yourselves? Are you part of the, part of the German descent? Or do you identify yourself as an Irishman? Or maybe you like to think of yourself in some other way. So how do you view yourself as a Christian then? Do you know that you have citizenship with God? Paul clearly states it. He says, you, you are citizens of heaven. Believers, you are citizens of heaven. We have been chosen by the Lord God. You belong to the God of the universe. God didn't bring you into his family because of your achievements, because of your personality, or because of, like, my very good looks. That's not how we get into this this place of heaven, this kingdom of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven because God chose you to be a part of his kingdom. And in doing so, and in doing so, God shows his love for you. God chose you because he wants a relationship with you, because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. That is what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Because you are a citizen of heaven, you belong to God's family. So how do you live then as a citizen of heaven? That's kind of how Paul begins this portion of the scriptures that we're reading from this morning. This is what he says. You're a citizen of heaven by living with undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ and his gospel. By living with undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ. Now, none of you are waiting to get out to see the Cardinals game because obviously that would be a divided loyalty, right? There are many external pressures that buy for our attention even our devotion. If you don't believe me, think about when you wake up in the middle of the night. Do you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, how can I more closely follow Jesus? 
Or is it usually about something that you are worried about or anxious about? Paul was impressed with the Philippian church. He loved them. And he was impressed with the way that they continued to spread the gospel, to proclaim the good news to the people around Philippi. And he doesn't want them to lose their energy, nor does he want them to lose their focus. So he calls them to live. Live according to your identity as citizens of heaven. Keep focused on Jesus Christ and his gospel. Now we're human and we're going to lose focus. I mean, someone may even be as crazy as to wear a Seattle Seahawks jersey to church. <laughs> I'm just picking on my son-in-law. It'd be okay if it was a Vikings jersey. <laughs> so, so what Paul wants us to know is that we are being called to be loyal to Jesus, to his gospel, which means his good news. You see, the reason why Paul wants them to be reminded of this is because they are being challenged from outside. They're being attacked from outside of the church. And that's the focus of what Paul is writing about here today. This is what he says verses 27 to 30. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. These external forces is what he's talking about. We wouldn't do that to internal forces. That's a cause for reconciliation, not attack. But that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Christ. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of the struggle. Today, there is a resistance to the church from outside, as much as it was in Paul's day, I think. Sometimes a little bit different, but there's still a resistance. We have been doing this marriage course on Sunday evenings, and uh, it has been a work of love as each week we add another couple. So I think we're up to 30, 32 meals now. And um, yes, I'm going to be tired after the seven weeks. And, and so, so one of the things that, uh, that's been so joyful is to see this place filled and brimmed with love and laughter and learning and growth and spiritual growth and marriage growth and you know, every Sunday night, right in, right in here. We serve the meals in here, and then, then we uh, 
do the teaching in here. And so we also have had some wonderful helpers. Troy has been a, a wonderful helper. He comes in after his night shift is finished, his evening shift is finished, and he comes in and helps us with the cleanup and the teardowns. And, and uh, one of the weeks, a couple weeks ago, he told Patty, because she was in the kitchen, Troy, you got to go out, or uh, Patty, you got to go out and look at the sunset. It's the most beautiful sunset. And so Patty went out there. She walked out here to look at the sunset. Out, and um, these two boys were riding their bikes in front of the church, and they yelled out, "We don't believe in your God." And my wife, love her, she has this response: "Well, that's okay, cause he believes in you." Yeah, amen? amen. Yeah. And then she said, would you like some ice cream? Shroom, <laughs> <laughs> turn around. <laughs> Ride their bikes up to the entrance, and they get off their bikes. She walks them down the hallway, and what they say? You're not a... <laughs> You're not a child kid. No, my wife is not a child kidnapper. She's a follower of Jesus, and if we can get people to follow Jesus by giving them some ice cream, then let's do it, right? So there is resistance. Paul is encouraging the church, and I believe that we need to hear this word today as well. Don't be intimidated. We need to remain together as one body. One. Who are these people that Paul is talking about? Well, they were neighbors of the Philippians. Some of them were noble patrons of Rome. That means that they had a higher social status in the, in the empire. And then some were perhaps even family members of some of the Philippian church members. And these detractors responded negatively to the Christian behavior that was at odds with the Roman religious values and the Roman practices. So, for example, if you were a Roman citizen, you were expected to worship your emperor. So Caesar Augustus was not just the emperor, the ruler, he was a god. And so you needed to pay homage to Caesar as a god. You needed to send your, not your taxes, your tithes to the emperor. And so the Romans had a very elaborate value system, and it began with the imperial cult the worship of all their, all their emperors and some of the emperor's families. They also had Roman religious practices and festivals that they expected everyone, not just Roman citizens, the, this, this was expected of everyone, that you would go to the pagan temples and that you would worship at those pagan temples. That was the expectation. So now you can see that this Christian community in Philippi 
is going to have no interest in worshiping some other god besides Jesus. Their devotion is going to be to the Christian faith, not to the Roman Empire. And that would be sacrilegious. That would be unfaithful to the Romans. And so these Christians were being attacked. Now, not beaten or anything like that necessarily, but they would be shunned publicly. Their businesses were being avoided. Don't buy your tents over there at that tent maker because he's a Christian. We don't even know what happened to Lydia's business that maybe didn't thrive. Participating in these practices would have compromised Christian beliefs and values. Christians owed their faith to one God and one God only, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, in chapter 3, says this, Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Christians, right? But even if you are suffering for doing what is right, God will reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Christians in Philippi were seen as strange. They were seen as a subversive Jewish organization. They would have been shunned, financially frozen out, and publicly humiliated. And yet they persevered. They did not let that stop. Their devotion, their loyalty to one God in Jesus Christ and to his good news, the gospel that brings life and healing and hope forgiveness and reconciliation. So stand firm with the Holy Spirit, striving together in unity, Paul says. You see, the external suffering that Paul talks about is present in modern times as well. In the face of that external opposition, unity can be difficult. One of the privileges that I had as a young pastor was I had been invited to, to visit East Germany, uh, kind of on a mission journey. I got to go over there two different times before the wall came down. That's the Deutsche Demokratik Republic, DDR, uh, East Germany. And uh, so when I went there, I got to visit with Christians who were suffering because of the Soviet stance on um, their, the Marxist position of, or the communist position of no faith, no gods, other than the government, right? And so what happened here is that the Soviet Union maintained their power for a long time. And how did they do it? They did it by corrupting government leaders, community officials, and even pastors of churches. They would threaten them with consequences unless they turned on their people. 
and many of them did turn on the people. Some of these leaders turned on their very own charge. Even some pastors. In conversations with Christians, what I discovered was that this just deepened their love for Jesus and their readiness to suffer more if necessary. You see, unity can be difficult. And when we hear of these external forces coming to try to divide the church, what I think they often forget is that in Christ, it can actually strengthen the church and build more unity. You see, that's what Paul saw as a response to his suffering, was unity. And for this reason, Paul calls the Philippians to stand firm because suffering is a reality for Paul, for the Philippian church, for Christians. Yes, for us, for you. The reality of suffering from external attacks is real. The more we walk with Jesus, the deeper your suffering will be. But that's not a bad thing. Suffering is not an accident. It is not bad luck. Suffering, Paul says, has a purpose. As followers of Jesus, we have been granted the opportunity to suffer, to suffer for Christ and for his gospel. When we see our suffering identified with Christ's suffering, it presses us deeper into Christ, Jesus. It presses us deeper into his suffering that he took to the cross for us. In John 16, Jesus teaches a challenging message about his coming departure. His departing means his death, his crucifixion. Jesus is telling his disciples in this chapter that they too will be scattered, that they will abandon him. Did that happen? Yeah. Yet Jesus said, don't worry about me because I am not alone. My Father is with me. And then Jesus wants to reassure his disciples that even though they won't be perfect in their suffering, that Jesus will be with them. Verse 33, he says, I have told you all of this so that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows. But take heart, because I, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. So take heart. The reality of suffering for the sake of Christ is real. But the good news here is that we can have peace in that suffering. We can have peace through Christ. But... Just to clarify, suffering is not the goal. 
nor is unity the goal. Suffering and unity take us to the goal. And the goal is the proclamation of Jesus Christ and his good news. Patty and I were at a funeral yesterday and uh, was a, a pastoral colleague. Um, I have worked with his wife. She's been a beloved friend, fellow pastor, and her husband passed away, and so the funeral was yesterday. So it was kind of a big Lutheran gathering. Lots of pastors and lay leaders from the valley here. And uh, one of the fellow worshipers from the funeral afterwards in the, the fellowship time shared with me um, what she thought about you and me. <laughs> and I should probably preface this by telling you that the ELCA is doing this massive survey right now. The Lutheran Church is doing this massive survey on the future of the church is kind of what they're getting at, but they're asking, you know, your ministry to children, your ministry to young adults, your ministry to young families, your ministry to, um, to, to older people, your ministry. So it's kind of looking at all the different aspects. And she wanted to share what she thought about us. She said to me, New Covenant is a five-star church. What she's referring to is that you fill in the stars on the survey. One is you're doing the worst job. Five is you're doing the best job. She said, you guys are hitting the mark on every one of these. You are hitting the mark on every one of these. That is what she said. Not to me, to you. Friends, that's what I want you to know. God is doing a new and amazing thing here. And as we continue to strive to proclaim the gospel to all ages, we will suffer. But that suffering will produce endurance. And that endurance will produce character. And it is that character that will continue to give us hope. So fellow Christians, fellow citizens of heaven, let's stay on course with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your beloved son, that you sent him to earth to suffer, to die, to take the sins, our sins, to take the sins of the world, Lord, Help us to live into our calling as citizens of heaven. And remind us, Lord, in the midst of suffering, that there is benefit because we are drawn deeper, closer to you. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen us as one church, that we can continue to do the work that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as Steve was preaching this morning, I had this vision.